0: A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now. Use the code EPL25 Again, LibertyShield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, Good Boys and Girls Two-Footed Podcast. Today is Thursday. It is the 22nd of June. The longest day of the year has passed. And the evenings will begin to draw in. Also drawing in is the transfer window. Do you see what I did there? It's called a transition. It's good stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Transfer window obviously well underway. And it seems to be getting a little bit manic now. Players are moving. Players have been linked. Talk of bids, talk of personal terms agreed. And in the end, it all seems quite quiet at the moment. There have been some deals, obviously. Mateo Kovacic to Manchester City looks close to done. Kai Havertz to Arsenal looks close to done. And it does look like Chelsea will be out of their FFP hole in double quick time with this, you know, not at all spooky deal that they've got going on with Saudi Arabia to buy all of the crap nobody else wants to pay for uh we'll wait and see what happens with Mason Mount we'll wait and see what happens with Conor Gallagher we'll wait and see what happens with Levi Colwell. but Chelsea should be pretty much sorted in the next couple of days from an FFP point of view which obviously is good news for Todd Boley but will never excuse the laughable mess that they made of last season. Before we go into looking at today's two Premier League clubs that we're going to assess, which will be the two Manchester clubs, we'll do listeners' questions. I think I have five of them today. So we'll start with this one from Isaac Gilding. I'm currently at Glastonbury and found some signal and thought I'd ask Who would you pay to camp out and see from the football world perform on a stage in front of 100,000 plus? Bonus, if you had to form a band of footballers, who would it comprise and what would each member play? So we'll do that part first. I like a nice frantic drum. So I'm going to go for Manuel Ugarte. I like good chemistry between my... Drummer and my bass player, and I want someone that's both reliable, consistent, and I want versatility in there. So I'm going to go for his Uruguayan teammate, Federico Valverde. On guitar, you're looking for two you're looking for that reliable rhythm guitarist who just stays in the background, doesn't want the spotlight. Just keeps everything ticking over. I'm putting Tiago Alcantara in that position. Lead guitar, you're obviously looking for a showman. You're looking for someone with real gifts. And I'm going to go with Lionel Messi. The reason he's not my singer is because I don't think he's an extroverted personality. I think your front man has to be a real extrovert. Has to be someone that likes when the spotlight is on. Wants all the attention on him. And for that reason, for me, it's got to be Kylian Mbappe, who performs best under the brightest lights. Wants those brightest lights wants to be the focus all the time. So I've got my Uruguayan rhythm section with Ugarte and Valverde. I've got Thiago just making it all work, keeping the groove there. I've got Messi doing rangy solos. And I've got Kylian Mbappe as my front man. Now I might also like to have someone on the keyboards here. And again, I'm looking for someone that can keep things ticking over, but then can also add something a little bit special. So I'm going to go with Kevin De Bruyne in that role. Kevin De Bruyne on the keyboards doesn't want the spotlight, doesn't want to be the focus, but can make magic when the moment arises. So he's going to be on keyboards for me. So that's that. Uh, who would you pay to camp out and see from the football world perform on a stage in front of a hundred thousand people? I mean, what are they performing? For me, I, I I would camp out to hear older players talk about their careers. You know, not all of them, but some of them. So let's take let's take a Neville style overlap and do a a panel that I would want to hear from. So I love listening to Roy Keane and Graham Souness because they were, they were great players. They were winners. They were leaders and they knew what it took to get the job done. But I've heard much of what they have to say about their own careers about their views on modern players. But they're sort of the basis for what I'm looking for. Great players who played at the highest level and were vital to great success. So first up, it's got to be Paolo Maldini. Five-time Champions League winner, the greatest defender to ever play the game. So I'm going to have him. I want... Chemistry. So I'm going to go for his longtime teammate, Franco Baresi, because he's always fascinating to listen to. And whenever I hear him talking about the defensive side of the game, he just has such a better insight to the likes of Carriger, who was that blood and thunder type of defender. Franco Baresi can relate more to the modern defender because he was 5'9". His game was built on speed, ability, reading the game, technical excellence, and not having to kick people into the stands. I want Javier Zanetti, also fascinating to listen to, great player, key part of great success for Inter Milan. And there'll be a little bit of rivalry there between those two. sorry, between the three of them. I really like listening to Thierry Henry speak. And I think he offers good insight into the game. So I'm putting him on my panel. And again, played a key role in, in a lot of success. And then my last one... I'm going to go Otmar Hitzfeldt, who I think is the most underrated manager of all time. Two-time European Cup winner. I think six Bundesligas. I think two with Dortmund. If I'm not mistaken, two with Dortmund and four with Bayern. I could be wrong on that. Otmar Hitzfeld. Do-do-do-do. Otmar Hitzfeld Honours. Uh, He won the Swiss Cup with Arrow. He won the Swiss Super League twice with Grasshopper, as well as the Swiss Cup Cup twice. I was wrong. He won seven Bundesligas because he came back a second time to Bayern. Won two with Dortmund and won a Champions League. Won five league titles with Bayern and a Champions League. I think he's one of the greatest managers the game's ever seen. I'm going to have him on my panel. And then you want a presenter, someone that can just sort of knit it all together, someone that's a strong conversationalist, and someone that has a broad knowledge of the game, not just focused on one league. So I think James Richardson's probably the guy to head up this panel. Now, obviously everybody will have their own views on who they'd like to listen to. Maybe you like listening to Danny Murphy or Danny Mills or Gabby at Abon- Abon- Lahore. Maybe you're sick in the head. Uh, but these are the people I'd like to listen to, you know, genuinely great players, not spoofers, not players that are overrated not players that were carried to success by teammates. I want Maldini and Baresi. I want Zanetti. I want Henri and I want Hitzfeldt. Give me that as a panel. I've picked all retired players there. I'd, like, I like. love listening to Mourinho. When Mourinho did that that stint as a pundit, I thought he offered more insight in the few weeks he did it than Carragher and Neville have offered in the decade that they've done it. But I'd love to hear from Hitzfeld, Henri, fascinating, Zanetti, Baresi, and Maldini. It's also three quarters of my ideal defence of all time. But um, you know, others that you'd consider, Arsene Wenger is very interesting to listen to, but his voice can get a little bit grady at times. A Saki would be incredible. I wonder a manager's a managers forum. If you could do an all time managers forum. You'd have Saki. You'd have Sebes. You'd have Lobanovsky. You'd have Renus Michaels. You'd probably have Cruyff. Now, Jimmy Hogan is kind of the godfather of this group, and the lineage goes Hogan to Sebes directly. Then a split where two different managers took what Sebes did and made their own interpretations of it. So Renus Michaels is one and Lobanovsky is the other. And then people that were hugely influenced directly by both of those, despite one of them not working for one, Saki took Lobanovsky's views in the game and tweaked them, obviously. But he was his great inspiration. And then obviously Cruyff as the pupil of Renus Michaels. So if I can get, get Jimmy Hogan in there as well, i go for that six. Hogan, Sebes, Lobanovsky, Renis Michaels, Saki and Cruyff. And I don't need to hear from anybody else because everything we see in the modern game stems from those people. Everything. There's nothing new. There's nothing anyone else has come up with. Not Klopp, not Simeone, not Pep, not Conte, not Mourinho everything you see comes from largely Lobanovsky or Reigns-Michaels, the teachings of those two. And everything before that came from Gustav Sebes, which came originally from Jimmy Hogan. Um, Let's move on then. Next question. AMK2889. Will Pep be the first manager to win the Champions League with three different clubs? Also, another podcast I listened to joked about Pep managing Tigres UANL. Could you ever see Pep in the MLS or Liga MX? What about Klopp? I definitely think at some point Pep will manage in America. But I've said this before. If I was running U.S. soccer, I would throw the biggest bag of money you could find at Pep whenever he decides to leave City. And just give him carte blanche to come in and oversee everything from the ground up. He doesn't even have to be the manager of the US men's national team. I'm not talking making him the manager. If he wants to be the manager, well and good. If he's got someone he would rather appoint as manager and then he acts as basically the czar of everything, that's what I would do. Will he manage an MLS? It is possible. It is definitely possible. It's probably more likely than what I've laid out. I think he he has a home in New York. He loves America. When he took his sabbatical between uh, Barca and Bayern, he lived in America for the year. They've kept their home there. He still spends his summers partly in America. His wife and kids are over there all the time. So I do think that's a, a strong possibility for him. Liga MX, I I don't think so. I could be wrong. But I think the American lifestyle would appeal to him more. Like if he's going to that side of the world, it's going to be more for lifestyle. And I think America will offer him more of what he wants than Mexico would. And he speaks great English, so he'd be, you know, he'd be absolutely fine even though Mexico would have the the language advantage. I think MLS is more likely. Will he be the first manager to win the Champions League? Um, With three clubs. Um, If he goes back to Spain, he's only going back to Barcelona. He won't manage another team in England. I don't think he would go back to Germany. The only club he would go to there is Bayern, because they're the only club that could give him what he wants. So I think we rule them out. I don't see that he will go to PSG. So the only other country he could go to in Europe is Italy. The Milan job and the Juve job are the two I would imagine would appeal to him if their finances were straight. Now, Milan's are a mess, Inter's are a mess, and Juve's are a mess. So I don't know that he'll ever go to Syria. Certainly not in the next 10 years, I don't think. None of those clubs are... I know Inter got to the final this year, but... None of those clubs are going to win the Champions League in the next few years. No, I don't think he will be. Because it's a very small group of clubs that Pep would manage. A very, very small group. And I think once he's been to a country, he's not going to go back there and manage a different club. Like, I don't see that he'd go to... I don't see that he'd go back to Barcelona. Let's say he went back to Barcelona in two years. I don't think he'd ever come back to England then after that and manage Chelsea, for example. So no, I don't think so. I think the only clubs he would manage in Europe after City would be Barca, Juve or Milan. And obviously Barca wouldn't be a third club because he's been there and won it already. I don't think he'd go back to Bayern. I could be wrong. Maybe he'd look at it as as unfinished business. He didn't win a Champions League there. So maybe he would go back to Bayern. Bayern would be his only real chance. I just don't, don't even know if Bayern would want to go there again. Because it wasn't always easy with him. There was a lot of arguments and distrust between him and some of the hierarchy. Now that hierarchy is largely gone. So maybe if he went back to Bayern, I I would back him to win a European Cup. A hundred percent. So he went there for three years, I I think he would win a European Cup. But I don't think he will. I think he'll probably... I think he'll probably stay at City two more years. Maybe then take a year off. And then either go to... Barca. Or potentially take a national team job. Meh. uh Rick M. Should Boston trade Jalen Brown? And do you think they will? This is tough. Now... When you ask this question, the Celtics hadn't even been linked with the trade for Kristaps Porzingis, which is now finalized. So they've brought in Kristaps Porzingis. They've sent out Marcus Smart, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala. They've somehow managed to wrangle two first-round picks out of this as well, which is genuinely incredible. Um. I don't know who you trade him for. I don't know what you trade him for. He's a difficult piece to move because he's got a year left in his contract and he's due a Supermax. But he's not a Supermax-caliber player. Like, Jalen Brown is not one of the 15 best players in the NBA. I know he was all NBA this past season. That was largely because other players missed too many games and weren't considered. He's a very good player. He's probably top top 25 to 30 in the NBA. But I don't think he's a supermax caliber player. You're going to have to give Jason Tatum the supermax the following year. He is a supermax caliber player. I really do like the idea of Derek White or Malcolm Brogdon at the 1 Jalen Brown at the 2 Tatum at the 3 and then Rob Williams and Porzingis as your bigs with Al Horford as the backup. If they keep Grant Williams then he's sort of your swingman between 3 and 4 and you'd have whichever of Brogdon or White isn't starting as your backup guard. That's a really 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 strong group like that's as good as an eight-man rotation. That's an eight-man rotation. That's as good an eight-man rotation as anyone in the NBA have, if they're all fit. But they've got injury issues with Brogdon. They've got injury issues with Przingis. They've got injury issues with Rob Williams. And Al Horford is now 38 years of age or something approaching that. So do they try and trade Brown and get a package That's hard. You'd be looking for a couple of young players and a couple of draft picks. But the team giving that up would have to be certain that he was going to re-sign there. Do you try and trade him for a star? Again, that's tough because the team getting him has to be certain that he's going to stay. So you could say to Portland... We'll give you Jalen Brown and next year's Golden State Warriors first that they've just gotten from Memphis for Dame, and that's the deal. And maybe the Red, uh, the Celtics have to throw in a bit of salary filler. Um, but why would Portland do that? They're not certain that he's going to re-sign there. It's been rumored that he would like to go to Houston. Now, if Houston were certain he would re-sign, would they give up Jalen Green, the number four pick in this year's draft, and maybe Terry Eason? I mean, that's a fair package for Jalen Brown, but they'd have to be certain, like absolutely certain, he was going to stay. If Portland could be certain he'd stay, maybe they'd trade Simon's the number three pick in this year's draft, and whatever it would take to fill out the salary, maybe maybe they re-sign one of the wings they got, Kevin Knox, maybe, and he's included in a sign and trade. And if, they, if the Celtics got him, maybe they could let Grant Williams go on free agency. I mean, I, I do like that. I like the idea of Brown with Dame in Portland. If Houston did it, I would view it as a little bit foolish because unless they're certain they're also getting James Harden in free agency, and then they've got Harden and Brown... I mean, if you've got Brown as your only good player, plus a bunch of kids, that that's not something that's going to work for you. My preferred trade for Houston, if they get James Harden, is Carl Anthony Towns, um, for four Jabari Smith, maybe Josh Christopher or Tari Eason, and some salary fill, whatever, but. If they've got cap room that they can take him into, I think they've got 60 plus million. So if Harden comes in at, I don't know, maybe 40, he's probably going to command more. But if it's 40, they'd only need to find, I think, 12 million in salary cap matching for Towns because they could take the rest of his contract into their remaining cap space. Harden and Towns together would be good. They wouldn't play any defense, but they'd score a tonne. Uh, And they could keep green that way. I don't know is the honest answer. It's really tough. I wouldn't want to pay him that contract, but I don't know who you trade him for. The one that has stood out to me as a deal they could make is the Hawks. I don't know how this would work. Let me get the trade machine up. NBA trade machine. So the player I would want back is DeJounte Murray. Because if I get DeJounte Murray, I now have a long term point guard that I can rely on and build around. Now he's not and he's not going to be ball dominant, he's just a guy who gets you into your sets, can score, plays great defence. So, Boston, Atlanta. Right. So, Jalen Brown, going back the other way, would need to be Murray. Onyeka Ekongwu, Because then you've got your long-term Al Horford successor. And there's there'd need to be one more player in that. Maybe someone like AJ Griffin, maybe maybe DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter might make sense. Because then you can let Grant Williams go. Now Hunter's gonna be going into a new contract this year as well, so he's poison pilled. Um we need to find a little bit of cap matching here. Peyton Pritchard. Okay. That's not gonna work. Let's see. Uh, this is great radio. Uh, if we take Hunter out. We include Peyton Pritchard. Okay. The Hawks need to send out one more piece. Maybe him. Right. We can make it work with Dejounte Murray on Yaka and um and Jackson for Jalen Brown and Peyton Pritchard. You put Jalen Brown with Trey Young. They'd still have DeAndre Hunter, so they still have their three. John Collins will probably get moved, but they'd still have him at the four, and they'd have Clint Capella at the five. And now The Celtics would have Murray at the one, Derek White at the two, where he's probably more comfortable. Those two played together in San Antonio and were good together. And you'd have Malcolm Brogdon as the backup. You'd have Tatum at the three, Robert Williams at the four, Porzingis at the five. Kongwu, Al Horford, and Johnson as depth from five through three. That's That's a trade I do like. And I think there's nobody there that That either side couldn't lose. It makes the Celtics deeper. It makes the Hawks better. I think the Celtics would rather pay DeJounte Murray what will be his max when he's up than they would Jalen Brown who learn earn probably 20 million more than, than than Murray a year. I like that deal. I do like that deal. And Jalen Brown, if I'm not mistaken, is from Atlanta. So he might be happy to go home. He is. He's Well, he's from Marietta. But yeah, he might be happy to go home play closer to his family, so he might be willing to re-sign there long-term. Yeah, so there's that. Okay, moving on. Uh, That took much longer than I thought it would. (laughs) Moving on quickly. Mikael Campbell, question for the pod. Should the fans of the German national team be concerned about the decline of the team? What needs to happen for them to improve so that they can, at the very least, have a respectable... Euros next year. Is the current German team worse or as bad as the Euro 2000 version? I don't think it's as bad. I don't think it's as bad. I think there's there's quite a bit of talent actually floating around. There's just a couple of areas in which they're lacking in really elite level talent. One is they don't have a number nine that they can really lean into. Um. They've got talented wingers in Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry who haven't lived up to the billing in the last couple of years. They've just sort of, I don't want to say stagnated, but stagnated is probably the word. They didn't like playing under Julian Nagleton. That's pretty clear. Um, but if we start at the back and work our way out, Mark andre Ter Stegen is still only 31, and he is back to something resembling his best. And he should be the number one goalkeeper moving forward. David Rahm is only 25, and he's a really good left-back. Robin Golson's is 28, he's another good left-back. I don't see a really strong... And Luka Nets is going to be outstanding at left-back. I don't see a great option at right back. I see some really good young centre backs. So, Bella Kotchup is obviously one. I think he's got a big, big future ahead. Malik Tiar of AC Milan is another. Nico Schlotterbeck is only twenty three. Joshua uh, Joshua Wagnerman at Stuttgart, is another who I think has big potential. Jan-Orel Besek I think, is going to be a top, top player in years to come. Now, if I'm not mistaken, he's on the brink of a move somewhere. Where did I read he was on the way to? Is it Inter Milan? I think it's Inter Milan. Keep an eye on him. 6-5 quick, comfortable on the ball. I think he's going to be outstanding down the line. So at centre-back, I think they're in fairly good nick. At left-back, I think they're in good nick. The issue I have is I don't see a right-back who's really going to stand out over the next couple of years. In central midfield you've got Kimmich, you've got Goretzka, You've got Gundogan, you've got Emre Can, but they're all twenty-eight and above, and I don't see. And I'm maybe I'm missing somebody, but I don't see the next great German central midfielder. Now, maybe F- Felix Nemecha develops into that role, but that will take time. It will take patience. And it would leave him without a partner. So they've got to try and find midfielders. Everybody knows I'm a big fan of Kai Havertz. I think Florian Wurz and Jamal Musiala are the two most talented German players I've seen since, you know, the 90s. So maybe Havertz does need to be their nine long term. And they need to find a way to build around Musiala and Verts. My guess is Verts is a 10, Musiala as a wide player with them having the ability to interchange because that, that wide side will play narrower than the other side. I think Leroy Sane is the best bet on the other side to get real width. Now you've got Kevin Shade, you've got Adiemi, you've got Makoko. All hugely talented, but all slightly better as wide forwards more so than out-and-out number nines. So the question will be, what number nine is going to develop? Who's going to score the goals? And who's going to play in midfield? Right back, you can probably patch it together. You probably don't need to have too big a conversation about it. You can take someone and play them at right back. But central midfield and goals is the the big doubt I would have. I don't think it's nearly as bad a situation as it was 23 years ago. I also think they've got an outstanding manager. I'm just not sure he's best suited to international football. Like he hasn't done a great job with the German team. He was unbelievably good with Bayern. I'm not sure he's. I'm not sure he's suited to the international game right now. Um, moving on. I think I have one more. Let me just check. If not, we'll be able to go to break. I do. I do. I do. Okay, this one was from Lloyd. I get the feeling that this transfer window has the journals running in circles with false info because clubs across the board have decided to play their cards close to their chests. All clubs bar Arsenal appear to be playing their cards close to their chests. All clubs bar Arsenal. Arsenal want everybody to know what they're doing. Absolutely everybody to know what they're doing. And it also wouldn't be surprising to me if Arsenal are also leaking information of other teams' interest in their players so that when they... The players that they want to buy, I should say, so that when they overpay, they can say, oh, well, it was because we had to beat off, you know, such and such interest from that club over there. Like with Kai Havertz. They're overpaying for Kai based on the last few seasons at Chelsea. But it's been in the media that, you know, Bayern and Real were interested. So I think that's come probably from Arsenal. Um, But yeah, I do think more and more clubs are working quietly behind the scenes. I also think a lot of clubs are doing something Liverpool did for a couple of years under Michael Edwards, where they're actually going in so many different directions as a little bit of misdirection. Like they're talking to three and four players for one position when they have a very clear idea of who they want and what the pecking order will be, but they might make it more obvious that, say, option number four is someone they're talking to. So, yeah, I, I do think the clubs are getting a little bit smarter now with these things. Uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll run through Man City and Manchester United. Not a whole lot for City to do, in fairness. They want to travel. We'll do the news, we'll do the gossip, and that will be us for today. So I will see you all after this. Right, welcome back. So Manchester City up first. Now, I said before the break City don't have a lot to do. They might actually have a fair bit to do because there's rumours linking a lot of their players with moves away. So start out with the goalkeeper situation. I don't think they need to do anything in that regard. Ederson is clearly their number one; they're clearly quite happy with him. Stefan Ortega did okay when he was called upon last season, and they've re-upped Scott Carson for another year, so he's their number three. I assume Zach Stefan will be sold. I just i I'm guessing that's what happens this summer. He'll be a good goalkeeper for somebody in the championship. Defensively, they've moved to this back three that a lot of clubs are playing. There's been talk of Kyle Walker moving on. Now, he is out of contract next summer, so it wouldn't surprise me if they do move him on. Then they'll have John Stones and Manuel Akanji in that right centre-back role. You'd have Ruben Diaz and Americ Laporte in that middle centre-back role, and then Nathan Aki, and potentially Josko Gvardiol, who has been linked in that left-side centre-back role. Now, if they don't buy Gvardiol, Laporte can play there, they can also play Akanji in that role, but I'd love to see them give Callum Doyle an opportunity, the young centre-back who spent last season with Coventry, I think that could be quite interesting. I think he's hugely talented. And I was very impressed with what I saw of him with Coventry last year. Now, they've got another outstanding young centre-back who I think impressed everybody on loan with Burnley last year in Taylor Harwood-Bellis. And I'll be curious to see if he gets much opportunity moving forward. If they bring in Gvardiol, that will be a big expense for a player that long-term will be an upgrade on Aki, but I'm not sure he is right at this minute. Aki just had a brilliant season. Season. Uh, my assumption is Jao Canseo will leave. I think Rico Lewis and Sergio, uh, Sergio Gomez will play when they want to use a back four. I think we'll see more of them, but they don't really fit. Lewis can play in the hybrid role in midfield when needed, but he'll be depth in that role if that's what happens. In the double pivot, you've got Rodri as the holding midfielder, and Calvin Phillips can also play that role. Now, in the run to the the end of the season, John Stones was playing next to him, I'm guessing John Stone's moves back into defence if they are going to pursue a move for Declan Rice. I think Rice is the one that will play next to Rodri, and it wouldn't surprise me if Calvin Phillips went the other way. Again here, they've got some really good young players that I'd like to see get opportunities. Tommy Doyle was excellent last year for Sheffield United. So was James McAthee. I think both of them deserve opportunities this coming season. They also signed Maximo Perone in January. And I think this season we'll see him integrated more into the team. And I expect big things from him. He's very, very talented. So if they could land Declan Rice, then you'd have Rodri, Rice, Perone, Doyle, McAtee. That's a pretty strong group. Shea Charles is another one that can play in midfield. He's primarily a defensive midfielder, but he can play at centre-back. And Rico Lewis can play in midfield. So I know people are quite worried about... No, nobody other than City fans is worried about this. But City fans are worried about Gundogan is gone. And it looks like he's going to go to Barcelona. It does look like this is the summer when Bernardo Silva will finally depart after three years of threatening to do so. Um, I, I think they can absorb that and move on. I do. I think they can absorb it. In the number eight positions, De Bruyne will be one, and my guess is Mateo Kovacic will be the other. Jack Grealish can also play in those positions, as can Phil Foden as can Tommy Doyle, as can James McCarthy, as can Cole Palmer, as can Perone, And I think Rico Lewis could as well. So I I think they're going to be okay in midfield. I don't really think they've got a whole lot that they need to worry about. And knowing City, they've got you know three other youth players that are just ready to step up and, and play a part. Left wing will be Grealish, right wing will be Foden. This is the one area I think they might have to bring in somebody. Because it looks like Riyad Mares will also move on. Now, again, there's you know, other players can play in those roles, but they're not as natural. Cole Palmer is the only one that's sort of natural in those wider areas, and he's he's very talented, but he's not quite there yet. Julian Alvarez can play in those wide areas, but it is a little bit clunky. It wouldn't surprise me if they added a winger. If their summer was Kovacic, Gvardiol, Rice and a winger, I think that's probably what we're looking at from City. They might not buy Rice. They don't need Rice, but he would help. And then through the middle, you've got Haaland and you've got Alvarez and you've got young Liam Delap, who's another really, really talented young player who I think is... Is worthy of an opportunity this year. 20 years of age. Always impresses me. I'd like to see a bit more of him. So it could be four players coming in. I think that's. They need three. I would say. But the one I would say they don't need. Is Guardiola. But I think they might buy him anyway. I think if they don't buy Rice, I mean, they don't need Rice either, really, because they could just use Rice or use Stones there, use Calvin Phillips there, uh give Tommy Doyle and McAtee an opportunity, give Perone an opportunity. They don't actually need deckton and Rice. The only thing City really need is a bit of wing depth if um Bernardo and Mares leave. But they've got so many great young players coming out of their academy that they're in a really strong position. They really are in a strong position. Now, obviously, they've just won a treble. So, realistically, anything next season bar a treble is a step backwards. But I don't expect them to repeat as European Cup, cha- uh, European Cup winners, but it is very possible. It's just I don't expect anybody to repeat as European Cup winners. I do think they'll win the Premier League again, though, which, you know, no one's done it four times in a row. It would be, it would be an incredible achievement, even with the asterisks that would go next to it. Um, yeah, I'd really like to see some of these young players. Callum Doyle, Tommy Doyle, James McAtee, Taylor Her- Herwood-Bellis, um, Liam Delap. I'd like to see them get get opportunities and, and Maximo Peroni as well. And in all likelihood, they'll also have one or two more young players coming in that, you know, Pep might take a shine to. Um, All things considered, they're in the best shape of anybody. So, you know, they can move into the summer knowing that in all likelihood they win the Premier League next season again. And while that's not, it's not going to get them too excited because you know they've won the last three in a row. That is still obviously a very successful season. Um, Manchester United—they have—I think they have a lot to do. To be honest, I think their squad's a bit of a mess. I really do. I think it's a bit of a mess. I think they need a new starting goalkeeper because I think they have to let De Gea go. I think. I know he won the Golden Gloves. I don't care. He did not have a good season. I think they need to buy a new starting goalkeeper. And I think they need a new backup goalkeeper as well. Because the only other goalkeeper they have under... Well, they they have Dean Henderson, but he wants to leave. They've got Tom Heaton, who at this point is a third keeper and nothing else. So I think they need two goalkeepers. At centre-back... They're being heavily linked with centre backs. Axel de is the one looking most likely. Now that might just be his agent talking it up, but I mean, it's it's a very odd collective of of central defenders. You've got Harry Maguire, who's not very good. You've got Eric Boye, who spent the year on loan. Phil Jones, who's, who's leaving. Victor Lindelof, who's pretty good, but not good enough to be a starter. You've got Lisandro Martinez, who, by the way, played far less than people made out last season when they were trying to talk him up as some sort of footballer of the year contender. Uh, you've got Raphael Varane, who's comfortably their best defender. I think they need one more centre back. I, I'd I look. I'd be looking for someone to partner Varane, and I'd look to move Martinez somewhere else. Maybe left back, maybe into midfield. But I don't. That's not a pairing that's going to win you a major trophy. Left back, they've got Luke Shaw. He had a, an up and down season. Well it was it started down, it went up, and then it finished on a down. Um you've got Terrell Malashia, who looked not quite ready for the Premier League level in this past season. But left back, I think they're okay because, like I said, Martinez can also play there. They definitely need a right back. Delow had his best season for United, but again, I don't think he's quite starter quality. Juan Basaka had something of a resurgence. But I'd be looking to move him on, and try and sell high, even fifteen million, because I just don't think he's good enough for a club at that level. So two goalkeepers, a centre back, and a right back, and I would say you need three of those four to be starters, but they'll probably live with a backup centre back. Maybe, maybe Dasassi comes in and rotates with Varane next to Martinez and Lindelof as the backup to him. It's a little bit odd, but I think that's what they might go with. In midfield, obviously Casemiro had a pretty good first season, but did get suspended quite a bit. Um, Scored some big goals, had some big, big performances for them. There was notable slips in some of his defensive work. The partner next to him is vital. So in some games, they played Ericsson. In some games, they played Fred. In some games, they played McTominay. One thing they have to do is get a backup for Casemiro. So a backup slash successor for Casemiro is something they should be targeting. And then I think they need a partner for him because I don't think you can rely on Ericsson game in, game out. Now, they are been linked with Mason Mount. Now, he's not a partner for him. But I do wonder if the plan is Casemiro as a six, Bruno and Mount as eights, which personally I think is horrible, but I wouldn't be surprised. Ericsson would then be a backup. I think Fred might stick around. I think one of Fred and McTominay leaves this summer, and if I was them, I'd rather keep Fred. Because I know Fred and Casemiro work together. So you'd probably look to sell McTominay. I don't think that midfield gets you where you want to go though. I imagine Donny van de Beek probably forces his way out as well because he's got to be sick and tired of sitting and watching football as he has done for two years now. In attack, Rashford on the left, Garnacho is his backup. Anthony on the right, I'm not a big fan, but let's see what he can bring in his second season. Ahmed Diallo should be his backup this year. He deserves an opportunity. He is really, really talented. So Ahmed Diallo should be his backup. Now, I don't know what that means for Jadon Sancho. In a 4-2-3-1, I would have said Bruno is the 10, Sancho as his alternate backup, whatever you want to say. But if they sign Mason Mount, now if it's a four-two-three-one, Mount is the ten, and Sancho is the cover. Fair enough, but then you're putting Bruno in a double pivot, which isn't going to suit him. They need a striker. They badly need a striker. They had Wout Weghorst, who I like. I do like Veghorst, but he's not a United caliber player. He is a Burnley caliber player. They need a striker. And I would probably keep Martial as well as the alternative through the middle. They have a big question to answer over uh, Mason Greenwood. What do they do with him? I'm sure they would like to just get rid of him. But how do you do that? Technically... Technically speaking, he didn't break any laws because or if he, he he may have broken laws, he wasn't charged no, he wasn't convicted of breaking laws. He was charged with them. He wasn't convicted of breaking any laws. So, they can't just terminate his contract. So, he's got I think 2 years left. I'll look now. I think he's got two years left in his contract. I don't know what you do with him. You can't play him. You just cannot play him. Do you try and loan him? Yeah, he's got two years left and the club of an option for a year. If I was them, I'd be telling them now, buddy, we're not taking that offer up. Uh, You go and find yourself a loan wherever. Maybe learn Saudi Arabian or something. Um. That would just be Arabic, wouldn't be Saudi Arabian. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a specific dialect. Either way, I would be saying goodbye to him as quickly as possible because it's just deplorable what he did. Um, Striker, one in midfield. It wouldn't be Mount for me. I think it will be Mount for them. I'd be looking for more of a box-to-box type. And I need a Casemiro backup. So I'm actually looking for two in midfield, one up front, a starting right-back, starting centre-back, and two goalkeepers, including a starter. That's a lot. Like That is a lot. And I don't think that even gets you to being a title contender. Because like I said, I don't think you're winning a title with Martinez. I don't think you're winning a title with Anthony in your team. I don't think you're winning a title with that midfield. Starting striker, starting midfielder, starting centre-back, starting right-back, starting goalkeeper, that's five starters and two squad players, one in midfield and a goalkeeper. That's seven players. That's a lot, but this squad is a mess. Like, how this squad was put together with the amount of money they have spent is genuinely a staggering thing. This is an example of how not to spend money like it just beggars belief you go through summer by summer and the money they've spent and the players they brought in and it is just incredible like last season they spent 200 million and they were nothing more than mediocre the season before they spent 150 million and they were nothing more than mediocre the season before that to be fair, they only spent a hundred million. And they finished second. Now that was largely because Liverpool got everybody injured, but still they finished second. Uh the season before that they spent a hundred and what did Bruno cost in the end? Was it fifty-five? Eighty, hundred and 140 They spent about a hundred and ninety million. And they were fairly average. Uh, 18, 19, they didn't spend much. They spent 50 million, but they were fairly average. 17, 18, spent bags of money, just threw cash around, and finished second under Mourinho. 16, 17, tenors everywhere. Money going left and Right. Another 150 million or so spent, uh, including the massive waste of money that was Paul Pogba. 1516, uh, Memphis Depay, Darmian, Schweinsteiger, Schneidelin, Anthony Martial. Loads of money for that period. Loads of money. Did any of them work out? Did any of those signings work out? Flop, 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 flop. all flops. Not one of those signings worked out. That was Louis van Gaal's second year. Louis van Gaal's first year, Ander Herrera, to be fair, was a good signing. Luke Shaw is still there. He's had one and a half good seasons in the nine years he's been there. Uh, Vanya Milinkovic-Savage never got an opportunity. Marcus Rojo was a disaster. Di Maria was a disaster. Daily Blind was pretty good, to be fair to him. Um, But they spent a ball of money and it didn't work. Um, they did finish fourth, in fairness, but like it's not very impressive. And then the thirteen fourteen season, um, Fellaini didn't work out. Juan Mata was there a long time, but didn't really work out. Sixty uh, odd million, and um, Moyes was sacked in in April, and they finished seventh. That's since Ferguson left. They have spent so much money since he left, and like their best league performance is the 17-18 season under Mourinho, where they finish second. But they're 18 points off the title. So, sorry, sorry, 19 points off the title. That's their best league season since Ferguson resigned, or retired rather, is to finish 19 points off the top. That's outrageous. Like I know they only finished 12 points behind under Oli. But they only got 74 points. Seven less than Jose got. And City just took their foot off the gas because the title was easily won that year. United weren't good that year. They've spent so much money and never come close to winning the title since Ferguson resigned. They've won an FA Cup and a league and two League Cups, as well as a Europa League. For all that money, an FA Cup under Van Hal, a League Cup and Europa League under Mourinho, and a League Cup under Ten Hag, and that's it. Near a title challenge to be had. What a mess. Big, big summer for them as well. Seven players I reckon they need. Uh, Harry Maguire is headed back to Greece in February of 2024 to face a retrial. Interesting. So Maguire was found guilty of assaulting a police officer and attempted bribery by a court in August of 2020. He was given a 21-month suspended sentence. His legal team appealed, and under Greek law, that meant a retrial. So he is once again innocent and doesn't have a criminal record there. But now he will have a retrial on the 7th of February. He will not have to attend and is not expected to attend, which in all likelihood means they'll just find him guilty because he's not there to actually defend himself properly. Uh, Tony Cruz has, has signed a one-year contract extension with Real Madrid. That one had been coming. Uh, Asamoah Gyan has retired. Congrats to him on a decent career. Uh, da, da, da. Arsenal have agreed a sixty-five million fee for Kai Havertz. LK Gundogan to join Barcelona. Uh, Jamie Carragher has joined Jamie Redknapp in complaining about transfers to Saudi Arabia. The girl in the gang being Wimbledon's physio, written by Mike uh, Henson. It's an older article on the BBC website. It's a bit a month old, but give that one a read when you get a chance. And that's all we've got. Let's do the gossip and get done. Newcastle are closing in on a £60 million deal for Sandro Tonali. I'll talk about this one tomorrow because we'll do Newcastle tomorrow. Uh, We've got Newcastle and Nottingham Forest tomorrow. I'm curious about that deal. Manchester United have joined Arsenal in wanting to sign Declan Rice with the Red Devils considering a player plus cash offer of Harry Maguire or Scott McTominay. So, I assume the offer would be, you know, like 90 million or Harry Maguire and 90 million or Scott McTominay and 90 million. Please just take our crap away. West Ham are keen on bringing McTominay to the club should Rice leave. Now, that is probably Alex Crook. Oh, Phil Spencer. Yeah, no one knows who that is. So, we'll just move on regardless. Um, that Bernardo Silva is nearing a move to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, odd. Sadio Mane is to leave Bayern Munich this summer and Newcastle are allegedly interested. The Magpies also want to sign Ruben Neves on loan from Al-Halil. I, I, I just, I don't believe this story because Well, number one, it's Wayne Vesey, who's an enormous spoofer. And number two, I don't see how that would be allowed. Like, why would they have signed him to then loan him? I know their season's over, but so is the Premier League season. So when's he going to go on loan? I saw some talk of a two-year loan. How does that make sense? Uh, Harry Kane is still hopeful of securing a move to Manchester United this summer. Uh, So says some fella called Daniel Orm. Answers on a postcard if you know who that is. Uh, Spurs have verbally agreed a deal to sign Italian goalkeeper Guglielmo. I definitely butchered Guglielmo. I don't know. We'll call him Vicario because it's a surname. From Empoli. This fella was unbelievably good last year. But... I hadn't seen much of him before that. He's very highly rated in in Serie A circles. And I spoke to a couple of Italian people today, people that cover Italian football, I should say, and they were raving about him. So I assume Spurs have just moved on from David Rea because Brentford are being silly. Napoli have put a £155 million valuation on Victor Osman, which I think is fair. Manchester United and Bayern Munich are favourites to sign... Randall Colomuani. I think United get him and Bayern get Kane. I think that's the best deal for everybody. The Red Devils are considering a move for Andre Onana. It would make sense given he worked under Ten Hag, but he did say he wanted to stay at Inter, so who knows. Borussia Dortmund have made an inquiry about Conor Gallagher. Right. Burnley are set to sign Dara O'Shea from West Brom. I like that move for him and for them. Bournemouth are close to completing a £9.5 million deal for Justin Clivert. I'm not a huge Justin Clivert fan. Netherlands midfielder Ryan Gravenberch says he may need to move to secure more playing time. Opening the door for Liverpool. He wouldn't start for Liverpool either, so I'm not sure how that would help him. Crystal Palace defender Yoki Manderson is a target for Newcastle, but the asking price for the 27-year-old could be an issue. I'd imagine they'll want £40 million, and I think they're right to want that kind of fee. Brentford are in advance talks to sign Nathan Collins from Wolves. I would love that move for him and for them. I really would like that move. Lopetegui treated him horrendously. Horrendously. And he's well shot of Wolves. Uh, Italy midfielder Jorginho wants to stay at... Arsenal despite interest from Lazio. Chelsea's Moroccan midfielder Hakim Zayic is nearing an 8 million move to Al-Nazir. Callum Hudson-Odoi could also be leaving for Saudi Arabia. Now, he's 22. If he goes to Saudi Arabia, that's a horrendous sign of what he wants from his career. At 22. Uh, Former interim Southampton manager Ruben Seles has agreed to take over as boss of Reading who were relegated from the championship last season. So that just compounds how bad that decision was by Southampton. They appointed him in February in the Premier League, and the only job he can get now is League One. Not even a championship job, a League One job. West Ham are on the verge of appointing Tim Steet then as their new technical director. Uh, right, that is everything today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.